Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature-N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello, welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. It's great to be with you this morning. It's, well, Monday morning and pretty wet and blustery over here in the West. We've just had over 50 mils of rain in my backyard last night. This is all good because gardens need that. They need that this time of the year and also the underground aquifers need to be replenished and that keeps all of our trees happy during the summer months. So I'm not, uh, I'm certainly not uh, not enjoying it, but it, it is a cooler and more difficult time. There are a lot of things you can do in the garden and I'll share those with you a bit later on. We have got a great program for you. It's packed full of down-to-earth advice and a lot of inspiration. Karen Goldie, a good friend from Evergreen Garden Care, she has got a brilliant idea. It's a fun school holiday activity, and she's also got a world exclusive that you will see here first before anybody else in the world. It's a big deal. I'll share with you an interview I did earlier this week. In fact, food security is such a big issue If you know anything about my garden, you'll know that I grow a lot of my own food at home and I'm always trying to increase my productivity. Now, there's a really important reason for it and I did an interview earlier this week with the director from Food and Agriculture Institute um, and I think you'll, this is in Canada by the way, and I think you'll thoroughly enjoy it. It's a real, you know, insight as to some of the challenges that are facing us in the future. Garden Express will be back. I think we've got Rowan with us today and uh, they have got a brilliant new catalogue out. Now, based on the way things are going at the moment, the stock that's in it is not going to last very long. So we'll give you a preview and you'll have to make sure that if you want to put some into your garden that you act really quick. Of course, the great thing about Garden Express is they deliver direct to your door. And we've got some great prizes to give away. Uh, We'll have these and I might even talk Michaela into giving a book away for the very best question of the day. You know, I should have told her something about that. Um, remember, when you do ask a question, please tell us your suburb and state. And if you like what we're saying or what I'm what I'm doing or if it happens to be something that really does appeal to you, hit the like button. It does help. It, it shares it with your friends and it helps build our audiences, which is very important to us too. Now, let's get off. I think we'll start in my home state. Hello, Kimmy. Kimmy's in Perth. I've got a question about citrus gall wasps. Initially, I had them on my lemon tree. The first time I pruned the affected branches, it was so sad to let developing lemons go. It was your first crop. Next year, I still found them, so I peeled the galls off and exposed them. It seems my lemon tree is free of them now. Unfortunately, they've jumped onto my precious yuzu tree. Now, yuzu is a 
Japanese citrus fruit that um, you will know the uh, the flavours because it's uh, associated with many Japanese dishes. I thought the wasps only affected lemons and grapefruit. Is there anything you can do to eradicate them or treat them systemically? Now, systemically suggests that you'd use a chemical that flows through the sap of the plant, and then when the wasp comes in and, and lays its egg in there, which causes that gall, that the systemic insecticide, the, the chemical inside moving through the, the sap, will kill off the insect. It's probably not the most ideal scenario. It's the last one I would recommend. Unfortunately, chemicals moving through fruit um, trees will end up in fruit, and you don't want that. The recommended solution at this moment in time is the pruning process, and it is really difficult when, of course, you see all that fruit on and you've got to prune when the fruit comes off. The best thing to do is to let your, your tree crop and then prune off the branches that are affected by the gall wasp. There is another way to control them, and it's a yellow sticky trap system. It's got a protective um, frame around uh, the yellow um, centre, and they come in there and they'll stick to it very quickly. So I would suggest you look at a combination of that and the pruning. I'm sorry, Kimmy, it's not great news. This is a new pest to many people in uh, in Western Australia, but uh, to many of our friends on the East Coast, it's actually something they've been dealing with for years. And there will be a natural balance. Uh, there, are plant, uh, there are insects that are predatory to these wasps, but it's going to take a while for them to build up in populations to control a wasp. So the wasp is a new pest to WA. Jeff is from Nowra in New South Wales and the South Coast. What do you recommend I feed my geraniums? Well, Jeff, I would suggest the most important thing to do with geraniums is to make sure that you're feeding a slow, consistent, steady plant food that's very, very well balanced. So a controlled release is always a great way to go. But interestingly enough, if you go and have a look at any of the professional nurseries that grow geraniums, they'll be using liquid plant foods. And there is that Osmocote pre-mixed um, liquid plant food that you can get. I think I've got one bottle sitting somewhere around here. It's called Pour and Feed. This one is actually for cacti and succulents. They do them for specialised plants. You want the flowering one, which I think is the pink bottle. I'll ask Karen a bit later on. Um, really good because it's all pre-prepared. And if you use that, it's literally a little capful per week. It does, uh, does the world of good. If you've got a very large quantity, then you might want to buy one of those um, granulated liquid fertilisers that you mix into a watering can yourself. But it depends on how many you've got, Jeff. Rhonda is in uh, New South Wales and Hawkesbury. Can I divide a bird of paradise, Rhonda? Absolutely, you definitely can. There's uh, two types. Michaela, uh, producer today here, she is uh, she has one in a pot, and it's the big, the blue one, the giant bird of paradise. And they're a lot more difficult to split. They can still be split as well, but the traditional yellow or golden uh, bird of paradise with the blue centre in the flower, um, they do split exceptionally well. And now is the time to be doing it, okay? They should have just finished flowering. And as soon as you've done that, go through, cut all the old dead flower heads off and then look at splitting it up. Um, remember, um, hit the like button if you like what we're doing. It's really important. It helps us a lot. Carolyn is in Melbourne. I've just finished pruning back my roses. Do I feed them now or do I wait for a few weeks? Well, now's the time to prune for sure. Now is not the time to be pruning back. And the reason for that is your roses should be dormant. It's pretty cold. They shouldn't be growing at all. So putting fertilizer into the soil is going to do no good at all at the moment. But here's the deal. First week of August um, in where I live 
is the perfect time to do it. If you're a little bit warmer, uh, say you're in the north in Brisbane, then you'd want to be doing it probably the second week or so of July, depending on how warm the temperatures are. It really does need to be your average days at least 18 degrees Celsius to get the best possible results. Barbara, we're not sure where you're from, Barbara, but you've got a Pierre uh, de Ronsard. It's a red rose. You've got the red version of it, I think. You pruned it right back to move it. And since then, it's no longer a climbing rose. Any suggestions? So Pierre de Ronsard does have a what they call a pillar kind of growth. So it grows these big long canes. When you cut it back, what you'll find is it'll start to get more of a shrubby kind of habit. Now, to, to let it continue to grow, as it sort of as it uh, establishes a stronger root system, it'll put up some of these big long canes again, and they'll be your laterals that'll end up being the ones that you can tie up or hold up or or string together to create that pillar kind of effect, more of the climbing rose effect. Um, so just a little bit of time, Barbara. Just give it another year or so, and it'll really take off. Um, Kelly, who's the prize winner from last week's show, welcome back. Good morning. Thank you for my gorgeous book, The Rose. It's just blooming gorgeous. I love it, Kelly. Well done. Um, and congratulations. It's a great book. I agree. Judy, um, you're in Victoria. You want to know if you can grow Daphne. Now, Daphne do grow really well. For those of you who don't know um, that, that plant, Daphne, it is a gorgeous, heavenly fragrant plant. In fact, there's one variety called Heaven Scent. And um, the fragrance from that is just divine. Now, Daphne's are generally actually grown in Victoria by nurseries and shipped across the rest of the country. So some nurseries are growing them in other states, but uh, they traditionally the biggest growing point has always been in Victoria. So, Judy, you won't have a problem. Best results, I find, in the West is to grow them in pots. But if you are in a soil that's slightly acidic, then they'll grow in the ground really, really well. Leanne is from Hallam in Melbourne. I've got a problem with my viburnums. The leaves have a black coating on them. They've also dropped a lot of their leaves. Even the new growth is starting to get this black coating. So the black coating is interesting. Um, it is a, it's a fungus. It's a secondary fungus called sooty mould. What's causing it is that you've got scale on your viburnums. You should see these like little dimplings on the on either the stems on the trunks as it goes up or on the leaves now that dimpling if you squeeze it you'll probably find a sort of an orange juice comes out of that and that's because you're crushing the insect scale is an active insect uh, generally during the sort of the warm or the milder months um, and then for the rest of the time you'll just see it sitting on the stem of the plant or under the leaves what they do is they emit a sucrosy substance out of their rear I'm going to say that. Um, it's called honeydew, and um, it, this this honeydew is a sugary substance. And this, when you get a lot of it, um, and it gets moved around the plant by ants, you'll get a secondary fungal infection. This fungal infection is only eating the sugar. It's called sooty mold. But the more of it you get on there, the more it covers over the leaves of the plant and it can actually stop them from photosynthesizing, from taking energy from the sunlight. So you really do need to get rid of that scale. That's the that's the key. And you probably find that you've got ants and scale doing the job together. So a little bit of talcum powder around the base of the plants for the ants and then when it comes to treating the, the actual scale itself, there are a number of different treatments, but you need to be really thorough. You've got to cover the whole plant, particularly if you're using any of the oils, the horticultural oils. I hope that helps. There's so many different things out there that challenges, but if you get on top of them early, 
later on the plants will be able to sort of manage it themselves. So it should be all okay. Now, I think we are planning on catching up with Karen, but I can't see her there just at the moment. So I might answer a couple of extra questions for you. Aruni is in Perth. Hello, Aruni. Your 22-year-old mango tree is well-established and has a big lateral root lifting the paving. That's a bit of a problem. Is it okay to cut that root without killing the six-metre tree? Well, look, I'll be honest with you. Um, mangoes do not like a lot of root damage. Um, I would be very cautious uh, when I do it. I'd probably do it in early, uh, probably September, if you're going to do it in, uh, in WA. Uh, and as soon as you cut that root, I would then apply some sea salt to it straight away. It's really important you do that. Um, this, when you're applying sea salt to a plant, the, 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 there's no fertiliser in sea salt. That's the first thing you need to understand. It's actually a plant tonic or a soil tonic. And what it does is it um, effectively stimulates new root growth, but it should be fine feeder lateral growth and that's really good that's the sort of stuff you want to do k is in jinjin jinjin is north of perth when's the best time to split kangaroo paws not now k um your kangaroo paws should be coming into flower at the moment and the best time to split them is actually in the autumn so uh, a lot earlier than this probably ideally probably march late march as soon as it starts to get a, a little bit of rain this year would have been perfect because we've had consistent rain really right through from january but kangaroo paws will split really well right up until probably the end of may even early june but after that you want them to grow and produce flowers so that's a, an important thing to keep in mind Garden Express are Australia's leading mail order gardening service offering a wide range of quality garden products each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. D is in Boddington. We're staying in WA just at the moment. Uh, D's got Kaikuyu grass and it's invaded your kangaroo paws. Is there anything you can spray to get rid of the grass? Now, this is a really good challenge, Dee, because what's going on here is if you try pulling that out, you're going to put yourself in a situation where you break pieces off of that grass and it causes it to spread and split and, and more things go on. So the way to treat it is to use what they call a selective herbicide. And there is one that is called Fusilade. Now, it's Fusilade is a, is a very unique chemical. You can spray it over any of the plants in your garden beds and it'll only kill off the grasses. Now you have to keep that in mind. You don't want to, for example, spray it on uh, bamboo because they're a member of the grass family. So it's pretty much any of the diacots are safe. That's pretty much most of your shrubs and your trees and so on. Um, so my recommendation is you get hold of some of that. Now you only need a very small amount and it's extremely expensive. You can only buy it in big big bottles it's about 120 dollars a bottle the best solution for you is to get onto somebody like jim's or one of the licensed sprayers so pest controllers they will always have it and they can come in and do a simple spray through your garden and it'll kill it all off and and if you've got it anywhere else the same chance to do the same thing so it's a selective herbicide really interesting pam is in broken hill in new south wales hi pam I've got a bare patch of ground between two plum trees. Could you suggest some flowers to plant there? It's an area that gets full sun, and I was thinking of daisies or something colourful. 
And that's a brilliant idea, Pam. There's a whole bunch of beautiful marguerite daisies that would be ideal for that. If you wanted to, you could also put, um, you know, this, to be honest, there's no limitation as long as you've got sunlight and the ground is not covered in roots, they'll do really well. But certainly uh, the marguerite daisies are sensational. That should work pretty well. Now, I, we found her. There she is. She's on a phone. Hi, Karen. How are you? Hi, Trevor. Good. How are you today? I'm really good, thank you. This is Karen Goldie. She's a state sales manager at Evergreen Garden Care. She's in South Australia. And when it comes to people with brilliant ideas, I reckon there's few people know gardening quite as well as you do, Karen. What are, what are we up to today? Well, I'm pretty excited today. We've got... Um, We've got a big launch. Um, your viewers, hi everyone, um, are the first to see our fantastic new range of indoor Osmo Scott's Osmocote products. You know how much I love the pour and feed? Yeah, well, I've just been talking um, about it. Yes, yes, and you're right, the pink, the pink orchid right. um, Thank bottle. You. Thank you. Yep. Um, and you know how much I love, I love this product? Well, we've yep. listened to our customers our customers have given us some feedback and um, asked us um, for more in the range and I'm very excited today to be able to unveil our five new products Ooh. drum roll drum roll <laughs> wow fantastic this is awesome so very very exciting um, you know that I love to make gardening easy and I love using these products for my little DIY projects yeah, yeah. and, um, you know, Greg and the team have come up with um, some amazing new products. Which, so tell, um, us, tell us about, about these products. So so what I can see there's what, one, two, three, four, five. They almost yep. do different things, right? That's right. So this one is a mist and feed. So this one's our foliar feed. Oh, wow. We've had a lot of customers um, asking us, about um, being able to have a, a, a spray a spray on application. And uh, the best thing about this is there's no odor and there's no staining whatsoever. I'll show oh, you. I'll spray that onto the hanky. Yeah. So you can hardly even see the spray, can you? Can't and see the spray, that. no. So that's that's that. fantastic. Now most people don't realize that plants feed through their foliage and through their yep. roots. So now you've got it, particularly for, say, for us, because we've got this living wall downstairs and yeah. uh, or, or even our indoor plants in the office here, this is the perfect way to give them a feed and, and give them a boost, right? Exactly. And I love this form of application as well because um, you apply it every two weeks, but it's also a really good way to make you, to, to force you to also dust your leaves. It's very important yeah. that we dust our leaves um, so it, it makes you do that. Um, I also like to spray under the leaf as well uh, for mm -hmm. that take up of the nutrients. Um, and it also um, makes you inspect your plants regularly as well. So when you're giving, before you give them a spray, give them a dust so they'll yep. take in these nutrients. And then also it's a really great time to inspect 
your foliage as well and make sure that there's no um, little bugs or critters or anything that might have invaded yeah. your plant. Or even just taking out, taking out some of those older leaves, you know, just to keep it looking fresh yeah. because what you have to keep in mind is if you're, if you're misting over the foliage and you're putting nutrient in, the plant's going to take it straight back down and push out new leaves and new flowers. It's the perfect way to do it. This is also, a lot of people don't realise, but this is how the professionals get the results. We had Richard Deckers on from mm-hmm. Flora Plant last week and he's, he's a classic where he's growing indoor plants. Um, he's got a lot of flowering indoor plants and he's using exactly that technique. So this is the first time I've seen this available for home gardeners to be able to achieve the same effect that professional growers get. What a, what a first. And mm-hmm. I'm not the only one excited about this, Karen, because Jenny's just, yeah. just written into us. She said, mist and feed, that is awesome. Love it. Excellent. And the other good thing is the price. Um, We've already got orders in. Bunnings have already put in their order, so you can expect to see it starting to filter into stores this week. Um, So it's a really, really good price point as well. So I'm I'm very excited about this. That's crazy cheap. Yep, yep, it is. Um, And and you mentioned that misting technology. Um, At our trial station um, out in the Hawkesbury, New South Wales, um, we're installing greenhouses and the greenhouses have all that mist technology as well. Um, wow. So, yeah, that misting, as you say, is, is is very important and a really important way for those plants to take up those nutrients. So that's that's one, but there's another four yes. there. So, tell me about the others. <laughs> so we've got the same again um, in the orchid variety for, for right. the flowering plants. Um, yep. And as you mentioned before with the pink, our marketing department have done an amazing job um, with the, the colour schemes. Everything now is just colour-coded. So if you're looking for orchid potting mix, orchid pour and feed, um, orchid uh, mist, everything is in pink. The same with the cacti and succulent. Everything's in that beautiful teal, blue, green colour. So everything now is colour-coordinated, so it's just so easy for you to to spot the products and find them on the shelf as well. So they're the two in the the, uh, mist and feed. Um, And then the other exciting one, um, you mentioned about the indoor plants taking the food in from the two different sources, from the roots, but also from the foliage. Yeah. This one is actually controlled slow release, but in a tablet form. Oh. So let me show you these little guys. It's already it. a pre-measured, pre-measured dose in a little oh, tablet. Yeah. So all you do is just put them straight into your into your pot, push them down three centimetres down under the soil yeah. um, into the pudding mix, and that will feed for six months. Wow. So, that's that's yeah. a brilliant idea. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So this piece lily here is roughly just under a 20-centimetre pot, so that mm-hmm. would take two tablets. So I put two tablets either side of the pot, yeah. and again, um, price-wise, $7.99 uh, for a packet of 50 tablets, which by my maths works out at roughly about 15, 16 cents per tablet. So to feed my piece lily for six months using this controlled slow-release feed is roughly 30 cents every six that, months. I that think that's a bargain. Incredible. That's an absolute yeah. bargain. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so these little tablets, my new little go-to, um, and then with my regime of the mist and feed, or you can still go with your um, pour and feed as well. You can still yep. alternate them. Um, yep. The perfect regime uh, for the beginner, particularly, to keep your indoor plants looking beautiful and lush. 
we've got so many people commenting at the moment. Um, Tala has said, great gift ideas, Karen, for that special gardener. Jenny's gone, the colour coding is helpful for a quick sh quick shop. Judy, yep. oh, I definitely will be keeping a lookout for, for the leaf spray. Samantha, yep. love that idea. Thank you, Deb. Can't wait to get my hands on it. And Leanne asked a question, can you use it on a cactus? Uh, yes, yes, you can. And I do, I do use them on my cactus as well. Um, yep. But with my cactus... When I uh, water them, I more I don't actually generally water too much of the of the actual cactus itself, yep. but more just, just around the the potting mix. And I always um, pot in the Osmocote um, cacti and succulent potting mix because yep. it's got a higher aggregate and sand content, which means that your drainage is much better. Because as you know, um, succulents, cacti don't like to be um, sitting in wet feet. They need really yep. good drainage. And also if you spray too much directly on them, they can tend to rot as well, yep. particularly in, the, yep. in these cooler months. So um, generally you're putting nutrients on top, so you don't want to have those yeah. nutrients burn burn the surface of the the skin because that can leave them open to fungal infections, etc. So, brilliant advice. Brilliant advice. Exactly. So, and then if you don't want to go the tablet form, yeah. the other thing we've got is our traditional our traditional prills of controlled okay. slow release fertilizer as well so one, one tablespoon um, per 15 centimeter pot so roughly again this would be two tablespoons of product yep. which also equates to um, two tablets so $8.99 for this one um, so entirely up to you which way you want to go um, yep. but I'm actually really loving this um, tablet uh, variety it's, it's such it's a great really idea isn't it yeah, it's great. And as you say, as um, one of our viewers has said, um, you know, for twenty-five, roughly $25, you could get three of these products, do them up in a beautiful gift basket, um, mm -hmm. and that would just make a, a perfect present for um, the beginner gardener or someone who loves their indoor plants. I think it's, yeah, yeah $25 gift basket, perfect. Absolutely agree, 100%. Now, I've got to ask you this question. It's an important question. School holidays, kids are um, probably all sitting around with the wet weather, et cetera, getting a little bit on the board side. Have you got any activity ideas that you might want to share with us? I do, and, yes, it is a bit cool and a bit wet outside. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought let's bring the cacti and the succulents inside. And what I've got here is a fun little activity which repurposes a can, a soft drink can, or right. a beer can, if you like, yeah. <laughs> any sort of beverage. So all you do is uh, just get your soft drink can, uh, safety gloves, yep. tin opener around the top, take the lid off, bang five nail holes in the bottom so you've got the drainage like we mentioned. Yeah. And then we layer up our can the same as we would when we, you know, we've done those uh, mini terrariums before. Yeah. I don't know if you can see there the layers. The layers, we use, yeah. We use the same um, layer layering technique in the can. So it's a fifth of, uh, say, 10, 10 millimetre, 15 millimetre pebbles in the bottom. Yeah. Then we use a fifth of our horticultural charcoal. Okay, yeah. Fill, fill up to the top with planting your little um, cacti or succulent uh, with our, um, with our yep, yep, the cacti and succulent. So you've got the good drainage. Yeah. Pop your little uh, succulent or cacti in, 
and then just put your decorative accents and little pebbles around the top. So just a really fun little activity to do. You don't have to necessarily buy. They look great. You don't have to buy new plants either. You could be taking some of the pups off some of the other succulents and cacti and and just um, splitting them up and putting them in that way. And that's exactly what these ones are. These ones are little pups as well. And uh, this is a bit of a favourite. This one's got personality, hasn't it? Oh, there we go. Love it. So, um, so, yeah, really really quick and easy um, activity to do during lockdown or in the school holidays. And um, Or you're just repurposing your cans. And um, if you've got um, pups, as you say, perfect. And with your mini terrariums, if you've already got some potting mix, um, some pebbles, you really don't need um, a lot of... Um, supplies to go in there very quick and easy do you know what it's a brilliant idea very clever very simple idea but um brilliant idea and uh probably the cheapest pots around because after Mm. you've uh, had your drink they would have been what maybe maybe put in for their 10 cent um um exchange but but you you got a 10 cent pot that looks really good Absolutely. And again, a really good gift idea. And if you've got someone who's partial to a particular beverage, a particular beer, uh, would make a nice gift as well. There, there you go. And not, <laughs> to, uh, not to put near the mouth though. Karen, that is just sensational. I'm very excited about this new range of products too. I think um, this, is, this is the sort of thing that gardeners, particularly those people with indoor plants that have been looking for those solutions to getting, getting the feeding process right and also Feeding from the top down, that foliage feeding thing is a big deal. It does make a massive mm-hmm. difference to the quality yeah. and health of the plant. Um, big, big steps forward again, and it's all thanks to uh, to you and the team. Thanks so much for, um, for joining us again today. Oh, you're welcome, Trevor. Great to be here. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks for joining us. We've got so many questions coming in. I better fly through a few of them. Jenny is southeast of Melbourne. I am, hmm, I am in the, and my roses are still growing new shoots. Do I hold off from pruning? Uh, there's a bit of a giggle going on here. We've missed a, a vital word. Uh, do I hold off from pruning and fertilising? Look, definitely um, roses need to be pruned this time of the year. Uh, fertilising, wait. Don't go doing anything with the fertiliser. Really important you hold off. As I said before, in my garden, my roses will get fed in August as the water, as the weather starts to warm. And by the time they get to growing pretty fast, they're going to have all that nutrient in the soil. The roots will be really you know, penetrating well and taking up lots and lots of goodness. And they will start producing flowers towards the end of September. Lisa is from Templestowe. We're staying in Victoria. My sublime is dropping lots of leaves lately but it has a lot of flower buds. Why is that? I just moved it to a sunny position. What should I do? Lisa, that is a classic sign of a lack of trace elements. Now, uh, citrus have got this real habit. When it gets cold, if they're missing certain trace elements, and it's not just one, it's actually a combination, they have a bit of a habit of dropping leaves. And what they're doing is they're actually managing the nutrient supply and they're dropping the leaves because they'll put that nutrient into the fruit which is what's it's actually calculating the number or the amount of nutrient it needs currently for the amount of fruit that it's going to produce. So now is the time to fix this problem, and that is to apply trace elements. It's a really important thing, and this time of the year is a great time of the year to apply them. Citrus do grow this time of the year, so now is the good time to be feeding all of your citrus. 
particularly if you've just done a harvest. That's the most important thing. So a lot of areas within Australia now have finished their mandarin crops. Some of them may have even finished their orange crops. If you've done that, give your tree a bit of a prune if it needs it. Definitely give it a feed. They've put a lot of energy into producing that fruit. Now's the time to do it. In the case of your sublime, because it's a lime, a type of Tahitian lime, um, as it's setting its flower, give it some trace elements. Then look at giving it a good all-round citrus fertiliser, really important. This podcast is brought to you by Still and Evergreen Garden Care. Still is Australia's most trusted brand of garden power tools, backed by 95 years of German engineering excellence. To get your hands on their range, visit your local Still dealer today or visit still.com.au. Let's go to... Oh, New South Wales. Let's have a chat or let's have a look at Shauna's problem. She's nervous about planting a seven-year-oldish lime tree that's pot-bound. Are there things I need to do to prepare well? And the answer is absolutely. There are definitely things you need to do to prepare well. One is you need to make sure it's going into good soil in the ground, vitally important. Dig the hole twice as big as the pot. So that's a really important thing. Is If you've got a big, a really, really big um uh, pot hole and you put lots of compost and organics in there, um, you'll find that what you're doing is you're going to create a situation where we've got a little bit of activity going on around here. You're going to create a situation where the roots can move very quickly through that good soil. And the other thing that's very important is nutrient. So as soon as you sort of put the plant into the ground, make sure that you're giving it some good controlled release, specialised citrus fertiliser. Now, the one thing you might find is if it's really root bound, you might need to tease those roots out. Now, I'm not talking about breaking roots off, I'm talking about opening them up and pulling them away so that they're not running around in loops because if it's doing that, that root bounding can be a big problem later on. Shona is in Kalamunda. Hi, Shona. Last season, my roses had rust and black spot. Now, I don't seem to be able to get rid of it. I read that it's better not to feed them, but they seem to be in distress and not healthy most of the time. Well, right at the moment, they should be dropping all their leaves. In fact, I reckon my roses have dropped 90% of their foliage and the rest will come off when I prune them in the next week. It's that time of the year. Um, interestingly, with rust and black spot, two common diseases of roses where there's not enough um, ventilation, so not enough air movement through them. Now that can be solved in two ways. One is the way you prune them. So when you prune them, try and open them up so you get a vase effect. So you're pruning the inside of the bush out and you're pruning the outside branches so that they, they're heading out this way. And if you do that, you'll find you'll end up in a situation where you are going to get really, really good results as far as airflow goes through it. Now, um, the other thing with those two diseases is that it really is a ventilation issue. But um, once you've got them in the soil, you do need to treat them. And this is a, a fungicide treatment. So there's a couple of different fungicides that are quite effective for both. And I would have a chat to my local garden centre. In this case, probably Xantheria down the bottom of the hill. Kalamunda is the suburb where I have my garden, so I know all about it. Thanks, Shona. Uh, Diane is in Meadowbank in New South Wales. Will the lily of the belly grow in Sydney? Does it need to be in full shade? Do I plant the bulbs now? When do I start watering it? I purchased another set of bulbs in June, have not planted yet. The bulbs I bought from Garden Express last year only grew only two out of the 10 bulbs and now all have died. This is a really unusual problem. This is a pretty tough plant and yes, it'll grow in Sydney. Um, 
it, it probably prefers to be planted in my garden anyway under the shade of trees, deciduous trees ideally, not evergreen. So they do need that sunshine when it comes into winter. That'll bring the bulbs through. As far as planting bulbs now, you're probably right at the very tail end of the season of being able to get them in. If you've got bulbs, get them into the ground. Don't worry about watering because you should be getting enough rainfall coming through at the moment to do the job. I'm trying to think, is there anything I've missed there? No, I think I've covered everything. And look, if you've had some problems with your with your plants from Garden Express, go back. Rowan is one of those guys. Um, David, as you've seen David all the time, they love seeing people enjoy gardening success. And if there's been a problem, they'll they'll have a chat to you and try and help you resolve that into the future so that you can avoid it. Annette is in Wandon in the Yarra Valley in Victoria. Wandon is a beautiful part of the world. Is it possible to transplant small native bushes? When and how is this best done? Well, look, actually, to be quite honest, if ever you're going to do it, and they'd have to be small, you need to get as much of the root system out as you possibly can. Try and keep the soil um, together around the base of the plant and add what I would do is, is very important, is to make sure that you add um, a, uh, when it comes to uh, the, the actual suppose the digging point, and I'm trying to think of the right way to describe this, is to add a, a, a good soaking of sea salt around the outside. Now, remember we talked about damaged um, roots before, and this is where you'll find um, if you're cutting native plants' roots, and it depends on the, the types of plants, they all perform differently, but if you cut their roots, the damage, the transplant shock can kill them. So reduce the transplant shock, soak the ground with sea salt, cut it, give it another soaking, pick it up, move it into its new home and try and do it all on the same day. I hope that helps. <laughs> now, look, um, last week I had the pleasure of, of having a chat to somebody who I read an article that she produced. There's something going on in California at the moment that should scare the pants off anybody who's following what's going on in the world. In fact, it's not just in California, it's in other places like Pakistan and other parts of the world. And that is, we are seeing climate change occurring at a rapid rate. In fact, for the past 10 years in California, rainfall has been dramatically less than it used to be. This has seen rivers stop flowing and reservoirs stop filling. And now they're starting to get to the point where it's absolutely critical and farmers are unable to produce their crops. So I spoke to the director from the Department of Food and Agriculture, the Institute in Canada, recently about what she is, well, she's just been looking at this and, and going, well, look, we need to look at Canada being a food source maybe for the rest of the West Coast of America. This is a problem that's quite significant. And I asked her what she thought the, the big solution is because it's quite an interesting challenge. One of the most fascinating things I've seen in recent times, we've talked about climate change and how it's going to impact us, but the 10-year pattern in California of declining rainfall is so significant now that rivers are drying up, um, reservoirs are no longer available, and it's starting to impact agriculture in a significant way. And, and that affects the population right up and down the east coast of North America, doesn't it? It's really the, known as the garden state for a reason. Yep. Um, for strawberries, for example, they produce 80% of North America's strawberries wow. in California. The rest are coming from Mexico. And so in the winter, a country like Canada, 
we buy $4 billion worth of produce from California every winter. And it's really an open question whether that's going to continue because um, they're basically strip mining their water to have that kind of production. And aquifers are dropping, rainfall is dropping. It's unlikely we're going to be able to continue to rely on such a hot and dry place to produce our food. So the the critical thing and what we're seeing in countries like Singapore, probably more more commonly at the moment, Israel and Japan, is a lot of controlled environments. So effectively greenhouses that, that are climatically controlled are producing huge amounts of food. And, uh, you know, even in places like Japan where there's little space, you know, that's where vertical gardening is coming in and, and uh, there's lots of different ways to, to produce that food. That's that's got to be an objective for Canada because ultimately what's coming up here is a significant problem for us with regards to supplying and sustaining our population's fresh food supply. You talked about strawberries, but 70% of Canada's lettuce um, and carrots come from there. Um, 84% of the broccoli and cauliflower. These are all vitally important vegetables in our everyday diet. And if you can't get your hands on them, what's going to happen? Well, that's true. And we already have supply struggles in our remote areas and even some of our minor cities, such as in Newfoundland in the winter, vegetables can be very expensive. And in the north, it's a constant problem. And we could see that spread. And so when we, um, I um, I was appointed to a government commission to actually look at this issue. So our local premier was very interested in how the Dutch had been so successful at growing indoors. And he saw a lot of similarity, Um, similar weather, uh, temperate weather usually, and good water supply and good electric supply and sustainable electricity because we're largely hydro. And his question was, how do we do this? And we certainly can, but uh, it's clear we need to. Because otherwise, yes, those crops are going to start falling out of availability. Look, there's an economic element to this whole thing as well, and that is that if you build industry uh, and, and it becomes a financially sustainable industry, you're not just supplying the population, but potentially you've also got export in the future back down to places like California that may not be able to produce uh, the same crops maybe not able to produce crops at all into the future. Last night I I was uh, chatting with somebody and they were talking about uh, the temperatures in some cities now getting to the point. And I think uh, recently you guys have had a 42 degrees Celsius, which is unheard of. And then you had a whole week of of that kind of weather. Um, In Pakistan at the moment, there's a couple of cities that have got to the point where uh, the temperatures are so high, they're in excess of 52 degrees Celsius, that it's now un- the human body is unable to survive outdoors in that environment. And um, this is a challenge. This is a big challenge for the world. This is what climate scientists have been saying for a long period of time is it's going to be extremes that cause us big problems. And one thing we know about plants is they take a period of time to grow. So if they hit an extreme midway through, it may take out a crop. The solution to that is to get control of your climate and climate control houses. How is that going to work in Canada? Is there enough room for you guys to do that? Oh, yes. And 
one of the things that we know is we have the ingredients. We have, uh, first of all, the electricity, which is a bit of the, you know, the limiting factor. And uh, we also have the uh, renewable electricity, which is good. We have a lot of technical know-how and we have a lot of water, at least still. And um, what we know is we could do a lot of local production. And the idea is that it will help the overall problem as well. And ideally, these are carbon sinks in that carbon's being sucked out of the atmosphere into the plants. Yep. And uh, also you can sequester carbon from other producers into the plants. But more importantly, you're freeing up field space that you can then return to forest, which hopefully will also be sucking carbon out of the air. And um, when we look at the carbon impact of lettuce from California, it's not great. Um, it just makes sense. California is growing lettuce for us in January, putting it on a truck, driving it 3,000 kilometers to Canada, yeah, it, it's not what we want to be doing anymore. And um, yeah, the 42 degrees in Vancouver was a wake up call. It was a very hot and terrible wake up call. Yeah, And, yeah. you know, we had people died. And, um, you know, on my end of things, a lot of our crops were seriously damaged because it's not supposed to be that hot. Yeah. And look, one of the, the great advantages Canada has is uh, it's got a fantastic high quality water supplies it crops like a lettuce it's 95 percent water yes exactly and the other thing is we know if we can get an industry started it kind of grows on itself and the you know japan is such a great case of that and they aren't quite as advantaged as us in that they have higher priced electricity mm. and also their customers are very discerning they need to hit a really high quality point and they're doing it. And quite quickly, um, we saw that in 2016, about half of Japan's uh, what they call plant factories were profitable. And by 2018, that had gone up to 75% as they keep perfecting the technology. Yeah. And they're getting very good at, uh, at doing this. And uh, yeah, we can, we can learn a lot uh, just in their example of how to build an industry where none existed before. So, so it, it appears to me from the outside that um, that it's been recognised that this is a necessity, that it's an opportunity. Um, policy, usually at government level, is the thing that uh, the, the, the red tape is generally the thing that slows us down. Does that look like something you can overcome now? We hope so. And um, certainly industry is working with government uh, and our and our government appointed task force. One of our jobs was to point out some of the problems in getting this new industry started. And one of the things we found, and it's kind of a boring, simple, basic topic, but zoning can be really tricky for a new industry. And so, for example, back east in Toronto, the city has uh, changed zoning to allow for an, agri an agricultural urban zone so that you actually can grow lettuce inside a skyscraper and it's not violating zoning. Yep. And we're actually in the process of looking at that here because what uh, the producers were encountering, they weren't allowed on farmland because it didn't fit the current definition of farming. 
but they weren't allowed on industrial land because you're not allowed to farm on industrial land. And so they were like, well, are we a farm or not? And our argument, and one the government I think does agree with, is yes, it is farming, but we have to modernize policy to uh, make sure that they have a level playing field with someone, you know, building a chicken barn, for example, which everyone's used to. It's um, it's interesting. I, I know I spent a bit of time, a fair bit of time in Vancouver and and Canada generally. And one of the things that I I saw probably ten years ago was um, top level hotels like uh, the Fairmont, where they're putting you know herb gardens on the roof of the hotel with beehives there and these things that. Um, there, there are opportunities within our cities as well. And, you know, the majority of our audience that's that's listening in today, are, you know, typical mums and dads, we're all living in the suburbs where we're sort of dealing with urban environments, but we can all play a part in our own food security as well, can't we? Oh, we can. And one of the reasons I love the controlled environment farming is it scales so nicely in that you literally can be, say, a restaurant with a shipping container full of herbs out back. Or you might be an industrial-level supplier producing a region's lettuce, for example, on 20 acres um, indoors. And pretty well anything along the scale in between. We even have uh, one company um, growing um, small, uh, small leafy greens in supermarkets in a contained almost like a vending machine and you know some of these ideas won't work some will and it's kind of a really playful very it it reminds me a lot of say software development or tech it's a really playful space and really the sky is the limit and you know if we look to singapore the sky really isn't the limit because they're really moving into skyscrapers and such and um you know, I keep thinking there's things that won't work and then I keep being proven wrong. So it's a, a really exciting good news story, I think, in a time where we need good news stories. Dr. Lenore Newman, you are, you've done something with this article, I think, that's really, really good. It really highlights a significant window of opportunity into the future for us. And I, I just, when I when I read it and I uh, know... Uh, Evan Fraser, I think, uh, made a contribution to this as well. But the the two of you, um, by putting this forward, gets us to think a little bit more about the space that we're in, you know, heat islands within cities and all these things, they can all be circumvented if we're we're able to grow within cities. And this gets us thinking about it. Also highlights a significant problem as we are seeing climate change on the west coast of the US um, and in other parts of the world. I'm on the west coast of Australia and the same thing has been occurring here. So it gives us a future plan to hopefully change the environment that we're living into the positive without the the negatives doing too much damage to the way we live our lives for the future. Um, I I really wanted to say thanks very much for your time and uh, and wish you a good day there in beautiful Vancouver, which is one of my favourite places in the world. Oh, same to you. I, I was lucky enough to visit Perth about three years ago, and you're in a very lovely spot as well. Yeah, no, we're, we're both. And that's why Canadians and Australians get on so well. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. Uh, we, we have a bit in common with that. Our landscapes are harsh, but very beautiful. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, lovely to join you. This show is brought to you by the Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. 
Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone, anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. When, uh, when you think that there's nearly 100 million people that their, their food supply is being threatened because we're running out of water because our climate's changing, it really is concerning. And, and you know, there's a lot of people who say, well, look, the arguments are, well, we can, we can sort of move our production further north, in this case to Canada, where um, maybe conditions are becoming milder. But um, it is a worry, a real concern, and it is a very good reason for you to grow as much of your food as you possibly can at home. You'd be surprised what you can produce, even from a balcony. Um, it's surprising just how much wonderful produce you can produce. Remember, if you want to listen back to that interview, you can head to Podbean or Apple Podcast. You can watch it on YouTube. Um, and I think, you know, one of these things is that you can share these sorts of things with your friends as well. If they haven't seen this and they want to get some ideas, then terrific. It's a good way to do it. And remember, if you like what we're doing, please hit your like button. It really helps us out with regards to our audiences. Okay, let's keep moving on. We'll, ask, we'll answer a couple of questions and then I think we'll go and have a chat with Rowan, uh, my mate from Garden Express, and see what he's got. He's got something pretty cool coming up that you will love. Aruni, when is the right time to prune asparagus? Well, technically, your asparagus foliage should all be sort of dying off right about now. So if you want to prune that off, you can probably do it right at this moment. Kanga Blue is on YouTube. Thanks. Hi from Newcastle in New South Wales. Thanks for letting us know where you are. Um, how do I treat my hydrophobic potting mix? Soil widders don't seem to help. I've removed the mix and started again with a fresh mix. How do I prevent it from happening again in the future? Well, your potting mix shouldn't be going, we shouldn't become hydrophobic. Hydrophobic, for those people who are not aware of what we're talking about, is effectively it's a phobia of water. So water is running off. It's not soaking into the potting mix. And a wetting agent, a liquid wetting agent, should ensure that it evenly penetrates back through and re-wets the potting mix. So there's two issues there, and I wonder about the quality of the potting mix you've started with and two, the quality of the wetting agent you're using because um, you can buy cheap wetting agents and they're effectively just a watered-down version. You're better to spend the money on a good quality, and, and I do love the liquid ones. The one that I use at home is the Seasol version. Now, there's they've got, they've got a, a wetting agent that's got Seasol in it, so the combination of things really brings the soil back to life. I would recommend that you do start again with some really good quality potting mix and you'll be fine. Cheryl, I'm not sure where you are from, but you want to know how to eradicate um, sour grass. I think that um, I think what you're talking about here is probably sour sop and it grows rampant in winter and I'm sure that's the one with the yellow flowers. Eradicating it's quite difficult because the leaves have this little fine hair on them and if you were to try and just do it via um, spraying a chemical, you tend to find that you will not, it won't stick basically and you won't get full control. Um, manual weeding is a good way to go but they, they do have these little bulblets down in the soil and that causes problems later on. Um, 
what I would suggest you look at doing is look at smothering it out. So smothering it using a big, thick layer of mulch is the best way to get control of things. Really does make a, you know, a really big difference. Now, we're getting questions coming in from all over Australia, but we're also getting them coming in from all over the world. We'll start answering a couple of those for you very, very soon. But before we do... I thought we might catch up with Rowan Peterson. Now, Rowan is the marketing manager at Garden Express. He's David Van Burkle's offsider, his right-hand man. And what, what Rowan doesn't know about what's going on in the garden over there in Victoria and particularly what's coming out of Garden Express's nursery isn't worth knowing. Something very special is happening at the moment, moment, Rowan, isn't it? You've just launched your winter catalogue. It's a big event. We have. It's it's becoming uh, one of our more popular catalogues. Uh, traditionally, our spring bulbs has been our biggest one, um, but this one's definitely uh, catching up, if not uh, overtaking the spring bulbs for popularity. Wow. Um, and so, it's probably due to the amount of stuff that's in it. <laughs> tell, tell me about some of the highlights because it, there's 64 pages in this catalogue. It's a big deal. It is. It's a big one. Um, it's, it's the... The whole first part of the catalogue, so the first half of the catalogue basically is um, is uh, dedicated to ornamental trees uh, mm-hmm. and also fruit trees um, and seedlings uh, and produce. Uh, so, you know, this time of the year, being winter, um, we're selling our trees as uh, bare-rooted trees, so it's easy yes. to ship them around the country um, and there's a great variety in there. Um, and then the second half of the catalogue, um, as you're sort of seeing up there on the screen at the moment, is um, is all about garden colour. So you've yep. got hippie astrums, you've got um, some late roses, uh, you've got liliums, you've got um, aquilegias, you've got gladiolis, and and, it, and the list goes on. Um, you've got some pretty good plants. I'm just making notes so I can get my order in as soon as I've finished chatting with you. But this this is one of the things is that um, you've got this amazing collection of plants. There's there's a lot of plants, but they never last that long, mate. I know last week um, an, another great sellout, another, you know, there's, it's not like you're not doing the right thing, but there's just never enough. People want more and more, don't they? And, and this is a good thing, but uh, it does say get your orders in early, right? Yeah, it is, and and we've been um, through through COVID in the last twelve months, eighteen months. We've been putting out our catalogues as digital catalogues, uh, which is like the flip book that, that you were just showing on screen just yeah. now. Um, but this one, we're actually we 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 decided there's a lot of customers out there that um, we're disappointed in not getting the the printed catalog. It's it's kind of an event for some people, you know, seeing our catalog flipping through it, flipping through the pages. So we've yep. released this one um, also as a printed catalog, which will be hopefully hitting letterboxes sort of later this week. Um, but we always launch it a little bit early um, online to our our online customers, um, and over the weekend we have already sold out of some of the varieties in there. Wow! All right. Well, look, it's it's a case of getting early. So just just we went through some of the plants that are real highlights, and I know there are limitations on hippie astrums. And one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is that these sometimes these take years to grow so you're growing them out in the field they've got to get to a certain size before you're willing to sell them because you want people to get flowers ideally in the first year Um, and and this is where um you know true farming few people understand but you know you're dealing with um you know heat waves you're dealing with floods you're dealing with extreme cold weather there's all these challenges to get these beautiful plants together and then when covid came along 
a lot of people were thinking, oh, well, it won't be that busy. But with nurseries and with gardens, everything went ballistic. So demand has been twice as much, hasn't it? So It, it has. Um, and not only, not only that, Trevor, is we've, we've yeah, I mean, demand on, on obviously our plants and our, and our bulbs and stuff has been um, incredible, but we've also increased our, our um, the eyes that are seeing us over that period of time, you know, by three, three times, as much as four times the amount of people that would normally yeah. uh, visit our site and purchase from our site. So yeah. uh, with, with that many new eyes uh, and that many new customers, um, it's been really hard to build the stocks up in, in such a short amount of time to to have enough stock for, for those new people. Um, um, but we do our best. Um, and you mentioned hippies. Um, there, there's only a couple of pages in this. It's a little bit early for our hippies, but we've, um, we're, we'll put out another catalogue, which will be Chock-A-Block. Um, and Dave was just showing me them on Friday, actually, and the ones that we're selling are, are this sort of size. Like, they are wow. very big, healthy bulbs. So, um, yeah, definitely won't be disappointed this year. All right, well, I'll be making sure I um, I get my hands on some. Hey, listen, now we've put a link up to the catalogue in the comments section so people are able to um, to get online and get shopping as soon as we finish the show because they, they really, you know, I, I can't emphasise that enough. There's nothing worse than being disappointed because you wanted to order it and you couldn't get your hands on it, but there's only ever so much stock, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's been a it's been a tough one, um, not only for us but for our growers too. And then with the the high demands last year, um, a lot of growers were were dipping into their 2021 stock, uh, which means that this year they're already a little bit short because of the demands of of last year. And then yeah. with lockdowns and things, it's just it's just continuing to spiral. So um, stocks are, are limited on a lot of things. Um, so yeah, please get in quickly. Um, uh, and you know, if you're able to jump onto that link, have a look at it online. Don't don't wait for your printed catalogue because um, unfortunately, some of those lines will be sold out when you when your catalogue arrives. This is the problem with with uh, with print these days. Isn't this why the newspaper is always a day behind on the news? Unfortunately, it's uh, it's coming at you flat out and fast. And and by the time you you see the printed version, a lot of the stuff is sold. Yeah, it's a shame because we, we love producing the printed versions, but uh, it, by, by doing it digitally and being able to think on our feet, we're able to bring new stock that's available right now. Uh, it takes a long time to plan for a catalogue of this size and making sure that the plants come in on time. So, you know, by doing it digitally, um, and we we'll, obviously we'll try to do um, print catalogues you know, two or three times a year. Um, but by doing it digitally, you're getting stuff that's available right now. The, it, it reduces the the waiting time um, and we're able to sort of think on our feet a bit better than we ever have before, to be quite honest. All right. Now, let's just go back through the basics. Now, there's, there's a huge range of things. There's 64 pages um, in this catalogue. You place your order online, so do that. Great thing about Garden Express, deliver direct to your door, right? Exactly. So place your order online. And like I said, because the stock's already here, um, we are shipping it out, you know, almost instantly. It takes a little bit of time to pick and pack it, but uh, almost instantly. So yeah. um, it'll be delivered to your door within, you know, a week or so. Australia's leading online garden centre, Garden Express. So give us the website so people can can check out your website. Yep. So jump on to www.com gardenexpress.com.au um, and as Trevor said, delivering directly to your doors. Rowan, brilliant. Thanks, mate. I can't wait to have a bit of a look through the catalogue as soon as I've finished today's show. Get in quickly. <laughs> Thanks, Trevor. <laughs> Always a pleasure. I'll get on with some of these questions. We've got lots of questions coming in. 
Let's go. We'll start in Perth. Uh, Carol, when do I prune my roses? Well, look, typically in Perth, it's the last week of July so is the traditional time, but it has been very cool here. So if you started pruning tomorrow or today even, it's a little wet outside, but uh, if you were pruning today, you'd be, you'd be doing a good job. Elise, we're not sure where you're from. Should you clean up all the fallen flower petals underneath camellias or leave them for compost of a big hedge that's prolific flower. It looks glorious. Look, I love those petals on the ground as much as they are on the plant. So I think I would leave them. They make a great compost. They'll compost down and they do have lots of goodness in them. So it's very good for the soil. Leave them, let them sit. Uh, Jeanette is from Northern Rivers in New South Wales. Why are my baby chocos about half an inch in length on the vine and the vine's going brown and shriveling? Um, obviously the little chocos will, will go soft and fall off. They will because chocos should be going dormant right now. So it's natural that the choco vine should be going dormant. And your choco fruit, really you should have already picked your crop. So it's a bit strange that it's so late, but it has been an odd year. So if you haven't got any any fruit, it's unlikely you're going to get it from, from now on. The vine should go dormant and then it'll spring out sort of around about September, October. Debbie, again in Perth, my lawn has gone yellow. It's looking dead, but the onion grass is popping up bright green. Is there something I can treat this grass with? Debbie, I'm going to give you a solution that you probably won't expect. This is actually a good thing that the lawn is starting to, to go yellow and look dead. This gives you a chance to actually let the onion grass come through, and what you want to do to treat it is you need kerosene. You heard me correctly. It's kerosene. Get yourself a brush and literally just brush it over the top of the onion grass. Try and avoid the direct contact with the grass below. But what you'll find with the with the onion grass is the kerosene goes down the stem of the onion grass and coats the bulb and literally dehydrates it and kills it off right in the peak of its growing season, which is now. It stops it from germinating and it does a really good job in getting control. Now, for your chance to win one of five packet seeds, you need to tell us what is your favourite winter flowering plant because I'm about to go on to one of my favourite ones and it's a little bit different to what you were probably expecting. Uh, if you saw the little promo we did for this time of the year, uh, sorry, for this time of the year, for this, this week's episode, then you would have seen this plant. Does anybody know what it is? Can you tell me? It's got these beautiful orchid-like flowers. Can you see how they've got that? What's interesting about this plant is it comes from a place where a lot of people think is actually quite tropical, but it's not. It's quite cool. In fact, this time of the year it gets almost freezing. It's Hong Kong. This is the Hong Kong orchid tree. It's known as Bohinia blakeana, and it is a really beautiful tree. The tree that I've picked this from uh, was given to me by a really good friend who used to work work with us, um, Paige, and she gave me this tree. It was in a pot. She didn't have anywhere for it to go, and it has taken off, and it will produce hundreds and hundreds of flowers. In fact, you can see the buds here. I'll bring it a little closer. You can see the number of buds. Each one of those is going to be one of these big flowers. So you can see they're just smothered in flowers. They're beautiful orchid-like flowers, and Pretty much this is going to grow everywhere, might struggle in Melbourne, it might, will struggle in Tassie, and it might struggle a little bit in Adelaide. It will love the summers, but it just won't like the really cold winters. So um, if you've got it growing in Melbourne, please tell us. I would love to know that you've, you've had success, but it is a little bit more of a challenge in that sort of environment. 
Now, the second part of my um, my thing today, I'm only meant to do a plant of the week, but I wanted to show you these. You'll know these because you've got them all over the ground at your place. They are, of course, our autumn foliage, our, our foliage of our deciduous trees all fallen on the ground. Now, there's a lot of goodness in this, and if you're bundling this up and sending it off to the tip, if you're not using this in your compost, you're really missing out on a massive asset. These put very, very important carbon back into the soil. They don't have a lot of goodness in them. The plant, the tree itself, has taken all the nutrients out of these leaves, back down the veins, and stored it inside the tree. So when it comes to springtime, it's got all the nutrients it needs, all the moisture it needs to take off. These really are just a source of really good carbon for the soil. But to get them to break down quicker, applying something like blood and bone, so getting them in big piles, getting a kilo of blood and bone and mixing it in amongst, or you can cheat it even further and you can use urea. So urea is used by the microbes that break it down. Um, it's a very high source of nitrogen and it'll break those leaves down very quick. In fact, within probably two weeks of mixing it in amongst them and getting a nice big thick compost heap laid through there or even just in your garden beds laying it over the top, what you will see is you'll see it start to steam and that is because the microbes are really busy and active. And they're breaking down all that organic matter and putting it into the soil. Vitally important asset for your garden. So don't give it away. Use it and it'll save you money in the future. Hope that um, that's a little bit of inspiration for you. Now, let's have a bit of a look. Um, favorite winter flowering plants. DV said Cymbidium orchids and aloe vera. Aloe vera is in, a, in flower at this time of the year as well, of course. Two really interesting ones. Irene, her favorite winter flowering plants, grevilleas, absolutely brilliant and a good source of food for bees and birds this time of the year. Annette, camellias, how can you beat camellias? And Wilma, Melly flowers are your favourite. Well, Mellies do flower this time of the year and they look fantastic. So make sure you're hitting the like button. And I'm taking it to Michaela that there's four winners there. So we've got four winners of our packet seeds from Mr. Fothergill's. A little bit of, um, little bit of, they're all edibles. So a little bit of edible planting for you to do. I think I will keep moving on answering questions. Make sure you hit your like button too for us. And also when you're when you're actually asking a question, tell us where you're from, like Judy did. She's from Geelong in Victoria. Where is the best place to plant Daphne? Is the shade the best? Well, actually, the perfect spot to plant Daphne is on the south side of your house. Now, the reason for this is the the southern side is usually the coolest and it's usually the most protected. So as long as it's a nice, cool, protected location, Daphne will do really well. And you can grow it in a pot there or you can grow it in the garden soil. doesn't matter. But the southern side of your house makes a big difference. The north tends to be more exposed and they can struggle a little bit in the hotter climates. Lorraine is in Penrith in New South Wales. I keep getting curl grub in my potted plants and the plants get sick looking. Uh, is there anything to, to put? Yes. So you're asked if there's any kind of granule that you can put to get rid of the, the curl grubs out of the potting mix. Um, there is something called bathroid. So it's a liquid. You can mix it up in a, it's a, it is a chemical, a pretty soft one on the scale of things. Um, mix it up in a watering can and soak the ground and that'll get rid of the curl grub out of your pots. Keng is in Perth. Keng brought a turmeric plant in a fairly small pot uh, and now its leaves are turning yellow. What should I do to save the plant? Good news, King. Don't worry. 
this is completely natural. This time of the year, your turmeric should be doing the same. In fact, my turmeric at home has done exactly that. I was looking at it on the weekend and the whole plant's gone yellow and it'll die off. So I'll cut off all the growth above the soil. But as soon as the weather warms up, then you'll see new plants emerge and you'll end up with really good uh, clumps of turmeric um, roots all around the base and you'll end up with more shoots. So don't worry, it's not a problem. Emma on YouTube, it's summer here in the UK. Hello hello to you in the UK, Emma. It's lovely to have you join us. Summer, the soil in my garden is mostly hard clay and so the rainfall either sits on top uh, and deludes every, anything. I'm trying to read what's happened here. Um, anything I try to plant or destroys it. Now, I've tried digging in new soil, but it seems to run dry so quickly. The roses love it, but I'm trying to grow fruit trees, etc., and it's not easy. Emma, I have the solution for you. In heavy soils like this, if you dig something in called gypsum, now gypsum is a type of calcium. It's um, pH neutral, so it's not going to make your soil acid or, or alkaline. But what it will do is it'll improve the structure of your soil. It'll kind of make it all granular and pebbly. Your local garden centre will tell you how much you should be using. But typically, in a heavy clay soil, around about a kilo per square metre and cultivate it in as much as you can will really change the structure of your soil. It'll improve its friability. And this will mean that there's things that will grow there that you just couldn't grow before. I hope that helps. And it's lovely to have you join us all the way from the UK. Kelly, uh, my hippies have been in the garden for five years. They haven't flowered. Um, should they be lifted? And is there some special care I should be giving them? I don't even know what colour they are as they were gifted to you from a lovely friend. Well, Kelly, interesting thing about hippies, and, and we're not talking about a whole bunch of people from the 60s here. Um, we're talking about those beautiful hippie astrums. The thing about them is they love being root bound. So the more root bound they are, um, the better the flowering is. So you'll often see really good hippie astrums growing in pots, and that's the key. I would get them into some pots, and you'll find that they'll perform really well. So I don't know, some nice big large tubs, put them in little clumps, maybe three or four bulbs, they'll fill out, and they will produce lots and lots of flowers for you. Carla's in Perth. Why is my passion fruit not ripening? Common problem at the moment in Perth. Cool conditions, so we're a lot cooler than what we're used to. And even when the, the fruit falls off, you'll see the fruit will probably still be green. And it's all got to do with humidity and cool conditions. But what you should find on the inside is that there is flesh inside and it is sweet. Uh, always better if we've got a bit of warm weather, but it has been a lot cooler here. Matthew's in Melbourne. Uh, we're planting our lemon myrtle tree from a pot today. Any tips on what to do for success? All right, lemon myrtles, it is an Australian bush tucker native plant love this plant. This is one of my favourites in my garden. And it's pretty tough, to be quite honest. But just when you put it into the ground, I would give it a little bit of a watering with sea salt. Now, at recommended rates, you don't need to do a lot. Just water it in. Good soil, good, like a good um, planting mix is the best way to go. And that's it. Give it a water in. That's all you have to do, Matthew, and it'll grow and should grow really well. Daniel is in Bendigo in Victoria, staying in Victoria. What's the best seedless orange tree in the dwarf format? So interestingly enough, all the dwarf trees, um, they're not a different variety. They're the same variety as the trees that you love. So if you've got a particular variety, a navel, for example, um, then don't worry about it. Just look for it on a dwarfing rootstock. Now, Garden Express every year seem to release some of these on these dwarfing rootstocks. I've got some at home, and they've done really, really well. Um 
I would say that uh, the Navalina is probably the one that I am the happiest with um, of the of the seedless variety. So I've got a seedless Navalina, um, absolutely beautiful. Plant's only going to get to about one and a half metres in height by about one and a half metres width. Interestingly enough, it'll still produce 100 to 150 full-size fruit. So that tree is just like completely jam-packed full of fruit. Um, but you do need to, you know, baby basically just have a bit of a look at the varieties around that, that you'll see in your local garden centre. In Bendigo, I would pop into my local garden centre and check it out so you can have a look at what they've got on dwarfing rootstocks. It's always a good way to go. How have we gone? Gee whiz. It's 11.14. We have actually gone, or one fourteen in, in uh, the East Coast. We've gone 15 minutes over and we still haven't answered all the questions that have been coming through. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have got another episode of The Garden Gurus Live coming your way next Monday. Um, if there's anything you want to know from today's show, if there's something that you've missed, you can always catch up by visiting our YouTube channel. Remember, it's a great resource, and so is the Garden Gurus website, thegardengurus.tv. Um, there's always terrific, there's videos there, there's um, fact sheets, there's great links to wonderful resources. Um, remember, we've put up that link for the catalogue for Garden Express, so you can go shopping on that. Michaela is going to send out um, a message to our prize winners. Well done to all of you for that. And you can listen back to today's live stream. If you're taking a drive, for example, you can do it via Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Audible, or of course, you can watch it again on YouTube. I'm Trevor Cochran. Thanks very much to the team here today. It's been been a really big... Garden Express are Australia's leading mail-order garden... ...forward to seeing you next week. It'll be next Monday, 12pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. In the meantime, stay safe and happy gardening. Dig, 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 dig in the ground. I'm feeling good in the ground. I got my spade, I got my hole, I got my rake and I'm ready to go.